You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. So how many of you guys were... uh, we're um, able to have lunch together after Mosaic with people. Just raise your hand. Look, that's a lot of folks in the room. That is awesome. I wanna know if you can give me one word or at most a phrase, just call it out, that captures your experience. Somebody give me a word or a phrase. Welcoming, Welcoming. that's a great one. Somebody else, give me one. Family, Family. I love that. Somebody else, give me one more. Fun. Oh, two people both said it. Fun. That's awesome. It was a good day, wasn't it? It was a really good day. So we're trying to plant some new traditions or practices into the soil of mosaic, practices that center on loving God and loving each other. And uh, it's what I'm calling sweet communion with God and neighbor. That comes right out of what Jesus called the great commandment, which is really one commandment in two parts. Love the, God, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's what you just recited during our prayer time. And this is what Scott McKnight calls the Jesus Creed. And in his book by that same title, McKnight says this, Jesus uses a physical object, a table, to embody his vision for a kingdom society, those who are living out the Jesus Creed. The table of Jesus talks. Isn't that a great thought? The table of Jesus talks by envisioning a new society, a society of grace, of restoration, and of transformation. And then he says this, nothing creates a society like a table. I would say nothing creates a culture like a table. The table that turns the Jesus creed into concrete realities. And that's the line that has kind of got me today and the one I want to focus on, on the way into the holidays. What, what can use my table and, or what other concrete practices can I cultivate during the season of Christmas that will turn the Jesus creed into a concrete reality? Is if, as McKnight says, our purpose is to bless the world by mediating God's joyful presence, then what practices can I place into my life that I can mediate, uh, so that I can mediate God's joyful presence during the Christmas season? I actually want to ask you to read this line together because we're going to—it's sort of our refrain for today's message. So let's read this together. Go. Our purpose is to bless the world by mediating God's joyful presence. You might want to make a note of that, but not on your little yellow piece of paper because I've got, I'm going to use that for something else. Um, We're going to start by looking at the Jesus Creed in Mark chapter 12, starting with verse 28. The best way to engage the message is with the Bible, something to write on, not that little yellow piece of paper because we're gonna use that for something um, and something to write with. So if you'll get that out and then turn with me to Mark chapter 12, we're gonna start with verse 28 and we're just gonna pull this little passage apart. This was the very first passage I preached on when I preached a public worship service for Mosaic 18 years ago. Um, And it's still, I mean, it's just the most fundamental passage for for us and uh, it's kind of fun to come back to So Mark chapter 12, verse 28, 
Jesus says, uh, well, the, the scripture says, the story says, the scene is, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. I want you to underline heart and soul and mind and strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. So in the margin of my Bible, I've made a note next to this passage. Um, and I've, I've kind of made a note next to each one of these pieces. Loving God with all my heart, I kind of drew a line next from, from heart out into the margins and I wrote passion. That's passion, heart is passion. More than obedience, it's more than a simple feeling. It is a, a gut level passion for the God of my salvation. Loving God with all my soul, I drew a little line and in the margin next to that I wrote prayer which is really about intimacy, so you could write intimacy, but for me it's prayer because that's God and me together. That's where I find intimacy. It's, cl it's me closely, personally, deeply connecting with the God of my salvation. So I see passion as big love and intimacy as a close relationship, and that close relationship for me really hits at the point of prayer. So loving God with all your heart and with all your soul and then with all your mind. And I drew a line into the mar to the margins from that and next to mind I wrote intention. It took me a while to come up with that word. At first I wrote intelligence, but that doesn't quite get at the spirit of this. I don't think God is asking me to be smarter. I think he's asking me just to think to be intentional about this relationship, to think about it, to plan for it and prepare for it, to be strategic about growing it, not passive. So I wanna say that again. To, to love God with all my mind is the opposite of being passive about that relationship. And it is also the opposite of being boundaryless. Loving God then with all your heart is to love God with passion, to love him with all your soul is to love him intimately, to love him with all your mind is to love him intentionally, and then to love him with all your strength. Next to that word I wrote energy, which is to say elbow grease. Put your shoulder into it. It's the physical energy it takes for some of us to get up early when you don't necessarily want to, or to get to that thing that, you, you know, to, to have energy for that thing you might not otherwise want to get up off the couch for, to learn a new prayer posture, or to care for your physical body so it doesn't eat up, listen to me, to care for your physical body so it doesn't eat up all your mental time and sap all your passion and intention. Loving God with passion and prayer and intention and energy. If I take that commandment seriously, it will take some deconstruction and reconstruction to get my life in line with the values of Jesus. So you got this piece of paper when you came in, this little piece of, of yellow paper. 
And if you're online, you don't have to have yellow paper. You just need a piece of clean paper um, that you can draw on. And if you're in the house, I want you to, um, to pull this out. If you didn't get one, just raise your hand. If you'll raise your hand right now, somebody will bring you a piece of paper. Anybody need one? Every single person needs a piece of paper. Okay. Because I've got an exercise for you today. Um, I want, I want, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write across the top of your paper those four words. I want you to take your paper and write across the top passion, prayer, intention, and energy. Just write those four words across the top of your page. Passion, prayer, intention, and energy. It will not be turned in, so if you're not a great speller, that's okay. You know what you're talking about. Passion, prayer, intention, and energy. And after you've written that, just hang on to that thought for a second. Let me tell you a story. Last year, just about this time, I started a new thing here at Mosaic. I started my own new little tradition, and now, right now, I'm continuing it. I, I wanted to get out in front of the Christmas holidays by preaching a sort of Christmas pre prequel message. I wanted, to, I wanted to be early enough in the year so you'd have time to think about your own approach to the holidays, and I wanted it to be practical enough so that you'd have some handles to hang on to as you built your own holiday experience. My hope was that this message would help us all to be intentional about how we enter into the and journey through the holidays, so we're doing more than just muscling through them. And what inspired me was that this is like two years ago, like 2019, before the, you know, before the pandemic hit. I noticed that coming into the holidays, people seem to have even more tension, even more stress. It's like we love Christmas, but we don't much like it. We um, we put up with it, but we'd really rather not. Almost like that cousin at your family gathering that you love, but you'd really rather they didn't come. You know the one I'm talking about? It's, it's kind of sad, but that's Christmas for a lot of Christians. So in a couple of years ago, that same, that same year, 2019, on Christmas Day, I got this email from one of our people, and she wrote this. She wrote, I hope you're all having an incredible Christmas Day. Today, my family and I are discussing the possibility of creating our own Christmas tradition. For as long as I can remember, this time of year has been a source of anxiety, sorrow, guilt, and longing for it to be something more, something else, something joyful. So I have raged against it in my spirit, dug in my heels against it, and I have found every excuse to avoid caring at Christmas. But I will no longer be angry at the season for the joy I failed to find for myself. Christmas does not owe me anything. Isn't that an awesome line? I need to stop here and say, that's one of my favorite lines ever. You need to write that down, but not on your yellow piece of paper. Christmas does not owe me anything. Isn't that a great line? It's one of the healthier things I've had anyone say to me in a long time. And the concept transfers, you know? My family doesn't owe me anything at the holidays. My, my church doesn't owe me anything. The world doesn't owe me anything. Jesus doesn't owe me anything. If anything, I owe Jesus a lot. Christmas doesn't owe me anything. But maybe we who follow Jesus owe the world a better expression of Christmas, a more peaceful, more joyful expression of the incredible truth that God is with us because God loves us. 
It's what, God, it's what Scott McKnight said. Our purpose is to bless the world by mediating God's joyful presence. So this person who emailed me goes on. Today, it finally occurred to me that Christmas can be for us whatever we choose it to be. Old things have passed away. I have to let them die. And out of the ashes will be born a new thing, a God-honoring thing, a loving expression of the gift that is Jesus, a loving expression of all that redemption is in all its beauty and glory for Jesus. So what she's talking about here is exactly what we were talking about last week. We were talking about the communion table and about how Jesus redefined everything on the communion table. Um, It's what I mentioned just a few minutes ago. Do you remember deconstruction and reconstruction? So I wanna talk to you about it just a minute. Deconstruction, let's start there. Deconstruction is what happens When you go through a big event, usually it's a trauma, like say a divorce or some traumatic loss or major illness. It's what every one of us has been through in the last two years. I mean, every single person on the planet has been through it in the last two years. The emotional upheaval and trauma of a global pandemic. They call that thing, you know, whatever it is, that moment or event, something that shakes you up and can make you question the things you always value, they call that a liminal event or a liminal experience. And a liminal experience will cause us to rethink things. Like, what do I actually believe? Does does what I believe fit into this thing I am now experiencing? What exactly do I care about? What does Jesus care about? And when when I'm asking these questions of, myself, given this thing I'm going through, sometimes things I thought I valued get tossed in the process. Does this, does this make sense to y'all? Just shake your head if yes, okay, okay. So, so what needs to change in order for me to make sense of what I'm going through? That's what a liminal experience will do. It will cause us to deconstruct our belief systems, to pick them apart and decide what's really true for us and and what doesn't work anymore. And a lot of good can come from these moments. But as we said last week, the problem with deconstruction is that we can become hypercritical of things and tear them down without any clear vision of what God is trying to rebuild. Good and healthy deconstruction requires intentional reconstruction. You'll remember last week we said that Jesus deconstructed the Old Testament table, but he immediately reconstructed the New Testament table. So good and healthy deconstruction requires intentional reconstruction. Otherwise, I just become angry, bitter, and reactive. That's the issue with sitting around tossing stones at everything we hate about Christmas. You know, that decorations go up before Halloween. That all the cashiers say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. That the Hallmark Channel has redefined Christmas as family and fireplaces when in fact it is actually a manger and a messiah. That is deconstructive criticism and it may have some value but only if it is matched by renewed, strengthened, reconstructed worldview that has passion, prayer, intention, and energy attached. If our purpose 
is to bless the world by mediating God's joyful presence, then how do we construct traditions that allow us to be that joyful presence in the world? As with so many things in relationships, it begins with releasing ourselves from the unmet expectations, uh, the, the unrealistic expectations that can't be met, and the simple acknowledgement that Christmas does not owe me anything. I, th I think right now you should turn to someone and say, Christmas doesn't owe me anything. Just say that to somebody or to the universe if you don't have anybody sitting around you. Christmas doesn't owe me anything. But maybe I owe the world a better expression of Christmas. After all, I follow Jesus. I follow Jesus. This is my holiday. This is Easter. This is my moment, friends. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is my moment. Come on. So with that, intention and energy in your spirit. Now I want you to do a little exercise. On your paper, on the same side as you've written the heading, passion, prayer, intention, and energy, I want you to draw a large box like this, large enough to write stuff inside. You might leave a little room to write things around the edges. This is your Christmas table. It's not your real table, but it's a table, this table is a table of practices you're gonna set for yourself during the whole season of Advent or Christmas. That's what Advent is. It's the season of Christmas that runs from Thanksgiving to Christmas Day. So I want you to think about these words, passion, prayer, intention, and energy. And with those words in mind, what good things can you add to the table? I'll tell you one thing I'm gonna add. I'm gonna add prayer beads to my Christmas table, to my season of Advent. I used to do prayer beads all the time because I'm kind of scattered, uh, scattered brain. Probably big news for you, but here it is. Um, I have a scattered brain, but prayer beads always have helped me. They've been away for years. They were a way to help me to keep my prayer, I mean, to keep my mind on my prayers. And my prayer beads, when they break, then I would get out of the habit, and then I'd bring them to faith, and faith would fix them, and then I would get back in the habit again, and my prayer beads broke some while back. So I brought my prayer beads to faith this morning. She's gonna fix them. I need them back by Advent, faith. <laughs> so I can make my prayer beads part of my Christmas season again. That's gonna be one of the practices I put on my Christmas table. Um, so what, what can you put? Somebody else, you know, I'm gonna call on, pick on Mike really quick. Something he's been doing lately is he's been part of a, of a, of a thing that's um, teaching him how to do the, um, more about prophetic gifting. And every, every Sunday night, he's been kind of calling in and talking to these folks who are teaching him more about the prophetic gift. And that's a really cool thing to do. So maybe there's a gift, a spiritual gift, that you really want to hone. You know, like I either want to know more about it or I think, I'm, I, think I might have this gift and I want to know more about it. Um, put that on your Christmas table. You know, that could be a gift you give yourself. 
I want to know more about what God has given me, so I'm going to get better at it. Maybe that's a great way to practice passion, prayer, and intention. Maybe for you it will be a daily prayer walk. Or what is it that would be life-giving for you? I want you to write those things that you're thinking about um, that would make the journey more joyful, more meaningful, and remembering what Scott McKnight teaches us. Our purpose is to bless the world by mediating God's joyful presence. I'm going to give you just 30 seconds to think and to write. So you don't have to add dozens of things to your Christmas table. <laughs> Just add one or two. And that's my challenge. Find one concrete way to love God this holiday season. And if you've already figured it out, awesome. If you haven't, I'm going to give you an idea. Next, next week, it's either going to be next week or week after next we're gonna have a three steps forward card for you built around the Christmas story. You know what those cards are. We've been talking about them for a while now, but that's the card that, you know, some of your groups have been using them um, that really walks you through. It's not just a Bible reading plan. It tells you kind of, it starts with a little bit of a confession. It helps you to think, kind of in internalize a little bit of a conversation with Jesus. Where am I missing it? Where am I getting it right? You, you, you read the scripture and you ask yourself, what does it mean? What does it mean for me? And then toward the bottom of that card, it really gives you a chance to, to enjoy Jesus. And then there's an, what we call a neighboring initiative on there, a chance for you to think, how can I best love my neighbor? So it kind of walks you through the greatest commandment, both sides of it, loving God and loving others. And we'll have a Christmas-themed three steps forward card for you next week um, that will allow you to um, sort of mediate the joyful presence of God by really um, sharpening your daily practice of being with God. If you want to take, one practical, take on one practical way to love God during Advent, that might be it. When you get that card, use it. Make daily time to be with God. When we've, when we've embraced and benefited from the word and from a personal encounter with God, we have so much more to offer the world. It's not where it, it's not where it ends, but it's definitely where it begins. So looking at that graphic you've just made, that, that one that's on your paper, how does it line up with Jesus' command to love him with passion and prayer and intention and energy? The practices in your life or the traditions that are part of your holiday lend themselves to loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if not, oops, then what I, what I wonder is, on the, around the outside of your table, are there things that just need to go? You know, things that you need to write on the outside of your table that just don't need to be part of your Christmas table this year. Maybe you need to write people on there. <laughs> 
but maybe you just need to write things, you know? Maybe this is just not the year I'm going to do the office party because there's just too much alcohol and it's never been good for me. Or maybe this is just not the year I need to travel. Maybe this is just not the year I need to whatever. Maybe this is the year to do something new with my family. All right, I want you to look at verse 32. Well said, teacher, the man replied. So so Jesus has just told them what the greatest commandment is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is to love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than this. And then the the man says to him, he answers him, well said, uh, teacher, uh, which just cracks me up. You know, saying to the savior of the universe, good job, Jesus. He answered that one right. You're right in saying that God is one and there's no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding and all your strengths and love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices, which is really quite an amazing statement to make because burnt offerings and sacrifices were how they connected with God. So, um, so, so, So now Jesus is saying he's connecting really serving your neighbor. He's he's making that as important a way to connect with God as burnt offerings and sacrifices. Let me say it this way. As As citizens of the kingdom of God, Emmanuel, God with us, our lives cannot matter more than the lives of other people. Because Christianity is an other-focused religion. And we who believe that Jesus is Lord are citizens of his kingdom first. And that has to take priority in our speech, in our behavior, in our schedules, in our bank accounts, in our hearts. It's who we are. We are citizens of the kingdom of God first of all or not at all. And so it isn't just go to church and then do my own thing. No, he's saying we are, citi- we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven first, and that connects us with the world around us. Remember that line from Scott McKnight, nothing creates a society like a table, especially the table that turns the Jesus Creed into concrete realities. It is not a coincidence there are so many table moments in the Bible. The table is central to the story of God. It calls us out of ourselves and into community. I I love that quote that Steve shared a couple of weeks ago from uh, Dr. Naf Atamna Ishmael in the documentary Breaking Bread. Naf is the Arab microbiologist. Do you remember this story? She she won that um, cooking contest. She's an Arab. Um, She uh, talked about the competition and cooking Um, and an Arab being with Israelis in that setting. And she said, this is how we do it, small steps like this. And someone said, you're gonna use food to bring world peace? And she said, no, I'm gonna use food to change a few people. That's it. But if you change a few people, and other people would do the same, then maybe we will succeed together to do some kind of huge change. That's amazing. I mean, that's, tables create community. That's what we tried to do last week, to create community and, and, and actually to create a culture shift. And that's our whole goal in 2022. It is sweet communion. To change the culture of our community by focusing on the table, which is to focus on sweet communion in all its forms, table fellowship, retreats, 
uh, slower paced events, opportunities for us, not in big groups, but settings where we have a chance to hear each other's stories, to create sweet communion. And it's maybe the best way we can love our neighbor as ourself. To love your neighbor as yourself, the guy said, is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. So I wanna ask you to take that same piece of paper that you um, just used to draw and turn it to the other side. And I want you to draw another table, another square. This one is an actual table, okay? And what I want you to do this time is consider who you'd like to see at your table sometime between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Your table. Who would you like to have at your table? And if you can't manage, if you just simply cannot manage a table in your home, then Panera's table. <laughs> but we discovered last week, this is not brain surgery, right? It's not so hard to do. It can be, it can be such sweet communion. So who in this community do you need to get to know? Who could you bless? So maybe you're thinking of sort of a mix, some people in this community, some people from your job, some neighbors in your neighborhood. That kind of mix could be fun, but it doesn't have to be a lot of people. It could just be two or three people. In fact, you don't need too many people because then it becomes too hard to do. So write their names inside your table and write your name into and anybody else in your household who will be there so you don't overwhelm yourself. At the first service, somebody wrote their name and their spouse's name, and that was it. That's really not what I'm thinking about right here. <laughs> their spouse, meanwhile, wrote 20 names. That's also not what I'm thinking about here. So last week, we had a table fellowship that the church organized. Um, we planned your hosts and we organized it for you. And we are talking about how to do that a few times in 2022. You know, where we, where we actually have one worship service again, because we get it, this doesn't quite feel the same as last week's excitement, we get that. Um, but we're still gonna keep having two worship services most of the time because that's how you build a church. Um, maybe, don't marry this idea yet, but maybe a few times next year. Maybe we could do it like fifth Sundays. That's, that happens four times next year. Like I said, don't marry it, but we'll work on that. Maybe if we did this four, fifth Sundays next year. But of course, we'll have communion much more often. So what if communion Sunday, whether it's a fifth Sunday or a regular Sunday with two services, became a trigger for us? On Communion Sunday, you get together after church for brunch if you're at first service, for lunch if you come to second service, and you enjoy each other, passion, intention, energy. And what if next month you practice that? What if you were to make it a goal to love your neighbor this holiday season by inviting a few people to your table in Advent season? It would mean that you choose a date. And just so you are aware, the next time we will share in communion together is December 12th. 
So you can go ahead and write that down next to your table. December 12th is our next communion Sunday. So that might be an option for you. You choose a date and then you choose two or three people. And then you choose a menu and you decide if people are gonna help you or if you're gonna make it yourself. And it doesn't have to be fancy. It could be tomato sandwiches. I happen to like tomato sandwiches. That's it. That's all you do. Choose a date, choose some people, choose a menu. That's it. It's not hard to open your table to a few other people. I want you to look at Mark chapter uh, 12, verse 34. When Jesus saw that the guy had answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask any more questions. I love how that scene ends. Jesus tells these people, love God, love others, and then he says, that's how the kingdom comes. That's it. It comes when we learn how to enjoy God and enjoy each other. That's it. And that's such a simple formula. Almost seems too simple, but that's the plan. Love God with passion, prayer, intention, and energy, and let that flow out into your relationships with each other. Care, conversation, intention, energy. Our purpose is to bless the world by mediating God's joyful presence. So last week, I had an early morning walk in the woods and I had some deep prayer with God that day. It was very deep and the Lord showed me something I hadn't seen before. It fit into the same category as that line from our friend's email, old things have, have passed away and I have to let them die. So what was happening in that prayer time the Lord showed me that some things that were, well, the Lord showed me some things in those, uh, uh, that, that have been lost in the last two years. He showed me some things that have been lost in these last two years, the, sorry, these last two years that are not coming back, that I had not grieved. I hadn't let them go. So inside, I was still having these frustrated conversations, you know, I mean, I hadn't let them go, so I, I you know, a lot of times be, I would wake up in the morning having these frustrating conversations where I'm trying to make things come back, trying to make things be the way they used to be, but they're not coming back. I want them back like they were, but there are things that will never be the same again, even on our best days, even without a pandemic. You have these times, right? Things you wish would be like they used to be, but they're not coming back. Old things have passed away. I have to let them die. So God showed me in that prayer time that, that morning, when something needs to die, that is not something I can control. That trying to keep a dead thing alive is an exercise in futility. I realized, or I had this revelation, it was in prayer, I really needed to grieve some losses and move on. So out there in the woods, six o'clock in the morning, thank goodness nobody else was out there, I grieved deeply. I mean, I wailed in the woods with God. I cried and I said, I get it. It's not coming back. These things are not coming back. Things I have 
I, I have to grieve them. Things and people and circumstances that will not be the way they were. But this is what Christmas gives us. Christmas gives us hope. As our friend said in that email, out of the ashes will be born a new thing, a God-honoring thing, a loving expression of the gift that is Jesus, a loving expression of all that redemption is in all its beauty and glory for Jesus. <laughs> if we will let Jesus reform our lives around what he is actually really doing right now, right here, in this world, as we have it. What a pleasure that can be. And what a blessing to the world. So I wanna ask you to stand. And I wanna invite you into a time of prayer and some of you need to come and you need to get on your knees and you need to pray, and some of you may need to grieve some things. Some of you need to grieve some things that you really secretly believe can be the way they were, but they're not coming back. Some of you need to grieve people who are just not gonna be how they were. Situations that just aren't gonna be the way they were. Things that just aren't going to be, expectations you've got that simply are not going to be met. You need to just come and grieve it. And I'm just inviting you right now, right here, you come. You come and get on your knees and grieve it. Just grieve it. It's okay to grieve it. I'm going to tell you, when I came, when I sat down in the woods and I just began to grieve, I found more relief in that time of grief than I've had in the last two years. <laughs> I just discovered there is so much more joy in this world as we have it than there could ever possibly be in the fantasy as I want it. So I ask you, bow your head, close your eyes, come and grieve. If you want prayer, I'll be here to pray. Michael, come. He'll be up here as well to pray. There's some oil up here too. If you'd just like to come and get a vial of oil, if you want to come pray for somebody yourself, you're welcome to do that as well. There are several vials of oil here. If you know somebody who just needs prayer, you can come and you can, you can be the prayer minister in the room and come and pray for somebody. I want to pray over you, Lord. Lord, this is, this is my prayer. I, for, the, for the dead things we have lugged around. <laughs> the dead things we have lugged to our tables that simply are not part of what you want to do in our lives right now. We just ask for forgiveness. We're sorry. And we ask, God, that you would give us the strength, the courage, the grace to let those things die. And with passion and 
prayer and intention and energy, God. We ask you to set a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Do a new thing. God, do a new thing. Do a new thing. Give us grace to see this world as it is so that we can see the new thing you're doing in this world as it is, so that we can see this season in front of us as it is and take this world not as I would have it, but as you have it, as you would have it. (laughs) Take this world as you are building it, to take this world, this world, with all the hope and all the joy and all the pleasure and all of the possibility that you want to sow into it, all of that that you want to sow into it, God. I don't want to miss it because I am lugging around my disappointment and my deconstruction when you are building a new thing. I just don't want to leave it half done. That's it. That's all. I don't want to deconstruct and not reconstruct. That's all. Help me to finish the job, Jesus. And to see what you're doing. Build a home here, Jesus. Build a home right in this moment, right here, where you and I can be together. We love you, Jesus. Set this table, Jesus. You're invited to come and pray. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.